First of all, I wanted to say Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms out there. Uh, the, the three Sundays where we have the highest attendance here, that's it's actually when we're able to come out here, are Easter Sunday, Christmas, and Mother's Day. I think that says a lot about our moms, that on a day that's set aside uh, to honor them, that they want to come here and they want to honor Christ, and they also want to uh, lead those that they love and point them uh, in the right direction. So happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. Uh, when we come back together, we want to do a special Mother's Day uh, service. We have some gifts that we want to give to you. I'll do a special Mother's Day message at that time. Uh, but in the meantime, happy Mother's Day uh, to all of our moms. Uh, one other thing, um, speaking of moms, one of the ministries that, that we support and that, that we partner with is Choices of the Heart Crisis Pregnancy Center. Some of you, the last Sunday you were here, you got a, uh, a uh, baby bottle uh, to fill up with change to help support that ministry. Uh, if you didn't get a baby bottle, I'd encourage you, uh, you can still set aside some change to give to that very uh, important ministry. You don't have to just give change. If it's uh, easier and better for you, uh, you can put cash in there, you can write a check. Uh, but I just want to encourage you to keep this ministry uh, in your heart and in your mind uh, at this time. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that we learn about God and about his nature and about his ways from the things that God has created. One of the fascinating creatures that God has created is a fish called the anableps. The anableps, uh, like most of us, has two eyes, but on the top half of its eye it has an air lens. On the bottom half of its eye, it has a water lens. So as the anableps, as it cruises through the water, half its eye is above water, half its eye is below water, and it's able to focus on two things at once. Focuses above the water and beneath the water at the same time. As Christians, there are two things that you and I need to focus on all at once. Number one, we need to focus on the present God gives us opportunities each and every day to serve him, to show his love towards others. And we have to be mindful every day that there are opportunities for us to serve Christ and to love others. But not only should we focus on the present every day, we need to focus on the future. It's a good question to ask yourself, will this matter one month from now? Will this matter one year from now? Will this matter ten years from now? Will this matter a thousand years from now? See, if you start thinking of things in that terms, then you will give your life day by day to the things that matter most, to the things that matter for all of eternity. So here in Matthew chapter 24, and if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn here, there. Here in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gives us a glimpse into the future, and we're going to see how that should impact our lives today. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. You remember at the end of chapter 23, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets. And then Jesus says to Jerusalem, your house is left to you desolate. I believe that's why the disciples showed Jesus the buildings of the temple. They said, Jerusalem's not desolate. It has the temple. The temple's magnificent. 
Verse 2, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another. The Jewish historian Josephus talked about the stones in the temple. He said some of them were so large, some of them would be 40 feet by 20 feet by 12 feet big. So when Jesus says not one stone will be left on another, the disciples can hardly believe it. They couldn't conceive of the temple being destroyed. Verse 3, now as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? The disciples equate the destruction of the temple, which actually happened in 70 AD, but the disciples equated the destruction of the temple with the end of the world as we know it. They, they thought, well, if the temple's destroyed, then, then this present world is going to come to an end, and that will be the time that Jesus will come and, and set up his, his kingdom. So when Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple, they ask, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And that's the question that Jesus begins to answer in verse 4. What will be the sign of your coming? So in verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples what will precede his, his coming to set up his kingdom. Now, before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom, there will be a seven-year period of time known as the tribulation. In verses 4 through 14 of Matthew chapter 24, we're going to see the first half of the tribulation period. By the way, I believe there's an event that takes place before the tribulation period. And it's known as the rapture. There are a lot of good Christians that disagree exactly on when the rapture will happen. Some believe it happens at the end of the tribulation. Some believe it happens in the middle of the tribulation. Personally, I believe it happens at the beginning of the tribulation period. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says this, Wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come is the tribulation, and the Bible says Jesus delivers us from it. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says to the church, I'll keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. The hour of trial that's coming on the whole world is the tribulation, and Jesus says that he will keep us from it. Well, beginning in verse 4, Jesus gives us six signs that mark the first half of the tribulation period. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. This is the beginning of this tribulation period. Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold but he who endures to the end shall be saved. 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. The end of the tribulation will come then. Now here's a question people always want to know. Is there a relationship between the things that we see happening in the world today and, and these things that will happen in the tribulation period? I, I believe there is. Think about it this way. If my hand is far away from this pulpit, it, it casts a, a little bit of a shadow. But then the closer it gets, the, the more the shadow comes into view and you can see distinctly everything about the shadow. I think the same thing is true with the end times. The, the closer we get to this day, the closer we come to this day of the tribulation, the more we will see some of the things that happen in the tribulation come closer and sharper into view even in our own time. So let's look at the uh, six signs that mark the first half of the tribulation period. Sign number one of the tribulation is spiritual deception. Jesus said, many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. The tribulation's a time of chaos. And into this chaos, there will be various people that will come and they will say, we're the answer to all of your problems. We're the ones that can sort it out. I'm the one that, that can give you all the answers. But there'll be one that will rise above all of them. And the Bible calls him the, the Antichrist. Anti means instead of. There's one who comes and he comes as, as Christ in the stead of Christ. Revelation chapter 6 says this about him. I looked and saw a white horse and its rider had a bow. And he was given a crown and he rode out to overcome and conquer. The Antichrist comes in riding on a white horse, if you will. In other words, when the Antichrist shows up on the scene, he doesn't announce, I'm the Antichrist, I'm against God. He, he actually shows up on the scene with the pretense of being a good guy, someone that's coming to the rescue of the world. It, it says that he has a bow but no arrows. He comes as a man of peace, promising peace in the, in the midst of war and chaos. It says a crown is given to him. He doesn't have to take the crown, the right to rule from others. Nations will line up behind this guy, and they will give him that power. A crown is given to him. But his purpose is to overcome and to conquer. Sign number two of the tribulation period is international conflict. Verse 6, Jesus said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. According to the Council of Foreign Relations, there are currently 26 wars going on right now in the world. Actually, that was the number Wednesday morning. It might be more by now. In the tribulation period, though, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. With all the chaos, with all the instability, countries will rise up against other countries trying to take advantage of this situation. So there'll be wars all over the place. And that's why so many people will seek a man of peace or somebody that purports to be a man of peace to put an end to all the conflicts. Sign number three of the tribulation natural disasters. Verse 7 says there'll be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. That word pestilences 
includes diseases. Think about it. Over the past two months, we've seen the havoc that one disease can, can, can throw the whole world into. We, we've seen what would, could happen. Imagine, imagine multiple diseases like this, maybe some of them more, more fatal. Imagine multiple diseases that there's, there's no known cure for. I remember going to the grocery store, it must have been nine or ten weeks ago. Everybody has their way of doing things. My way of going to the grocery store is to always forget something. Not intentionally, but I always do. I went to the grocery store one day, and it just seemed like a, a regular day. I picked up the items that I needed, and I forgot one thing. The next day I went back, and that's when all of this news was really starting to break. The next day I went back for that one item, and shelves were empty. I, I mean, people had come in, and, and it had looked like a swarm of locusts had gone through. It's like they had taken everything. Imagine during this tribulation period, what it's going to be like. Uh, imagine the chaos when it's not just one, uh, one thing that we're dealing with. Uh, imagine multiple things like this. Revelation chapter 6 says it will take a day's wage to just buy enough food for that day. Th th that's the situation that the Bible says is coming. Sign number four of the tribulation, persecution of God's people. Verse 9, they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Our, our idea of persecution is so much different than people in other countries. Uh, you might put a, a comment on Facebook about, you know, about your, your belief in Christ and somebody says something negative about it and you feel persecuted. And, and I get that. that. That's how we all feel. But in other countries, it's much different than what we face here. Every five minutes, a Christian dies for his faith. That was the title of an article that was in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine recently. The article states, the world is becoming increasingly dangerous for people who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Figures cited recently by a human rights representative show that 105 Christians are killed each year solely because of their faith. That translates into one Christian every five minutes. Think about that. In the time that you've been listening to this, Four Christians have been killed for no other reason than that they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that doesn't even take into account other kinds of persecution. Loss of job, destruction of property, imprisonment, physical attacks. All of these things will be magnified in the tribulation. Sign number five of the tribulation, widespread apostasy, or in other words, falling away from the faith. Verse 10 is a little bit clearer in the NIV. I'm going to read from there. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. See, under pressure, people turn away from the faith. It happens today. 
Sometimes people feel pressure from family, from friends, from society, and they, they, they back away from their faith in Christ. In the tribulation period, it'll be more than just subtle pressure than from others, though. People will be threatened with their lives, and because of that, some will, will, will turn away from their faith. Some will back away. Many will turn away from the faith, and the love of most will grow cold. In the midst of all of this bad news, though, there's some good news. Sign number six of the tribulation is worldwide evangelism. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. The book of Revelation talks about 144,000 who are sealed, who are protected by God, and they go out and they spread the good news. It also talks about two witnesses that, that, that spread the gospel. So during this time, many come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, difficult times always give us an opportunity to share the gospel. It'll be true in the tribulation. Some people will be looking for hope. And in the midst of all that persecution, even knowing that it will cost them their lives, many will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, difficult times has a way of doing that. They, they sober us up. Uh, during this pandemic, there have been a lot of people who have considered that life is short. There, 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 there's got to be, they, they, they're looking for hope. They're, they're looking for answers. And through it, Many have come to know Christ as Savior. My encouragement to you is to share the good news of Christ with, with everyone. Paul said to, to be ready in season and out of season to share the good news. Hey, this is certainly in season. People, people need hope. Uh, people need answers. And we have hope and we have the answer in Jesus Christ. In verse 15, Jesus tells us what happens in the middle of the tribulation. Verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, Jesus is referring to an end time prophecy of Daniel written in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Daniel wrote, The ruler, he's speaking of the end time ruler, the Antichrist, the ruler will make a treaty with the people. He's speaking about the Jewish people. The, this ruler antichrist, he'll make a, a deal with the Jewish people that he'll make a treaty with them. For seven years, he'll keep them safe. The Jewish people have always been persecuted. There have always been people trying to destroy them. And so this seems like a no-brainer to them. They, they have this powerful world ruler who says he'll protect them. And so they sign a treaty that for seven years they will be at peace. He'll make a treaty with the people for a period of seven years. But after half this time, after three and a half years, he'll put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. After three and a half years, he breaks his treaty with them. And he puts an end to sacrifice and offering. During the first three and a half years, the temple's uh, rebuilt. They're able to have sacrifices and offerings. But midway through, he comes and he puts an end to that. And at that end, it says, at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. What's this abomination 
that he sets up in the temple. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he, that's the Antichrist, will oppose and exalt himself over everything that's called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. See, that's what desecrates the temple. The Antichrist puts an end to the sacrifices, and he says, now you have to come and worship me. He sets himself up in God's temple in Jerusalem, demanding that the world and the Jewish people worship him as God. After that happens, things go from bad to worse. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. It's interesting, whoever reads, let him understand. During the tribulation period, I believe some people will read this very prophecy and they will start to understand. And then they'll follow what Jesus says. Whoever reads, let him understand. Let those who are in, in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. You get the idea. This is going to be so intense. This is going to be so desperate. This is going to come on people so quickly that you don't even go back to the house and get anything. You just flee. You just run. But woe to those who are pregnant and those to, to who are nursing babies in those days. It'll be hard for them to run. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. This begins the second half of the tribulation period where everything intensifies. This will be, uh, from then, there will be great tribulation such as hasn't been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. It becomes so intense that apparently God shortens that time frame a little bit. So, so that people can make it through to the end. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ or there, don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. When Jesus comes, it'll be like lightning. It'll be quick and it'll be visible to everyone. The Bible says that when Christ comes again, every eye will see him. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon won't give its light. Can you imagine what that will be like? It says in the book of Revelation that a third of the stars fall from the sky. It says the moon no longer gives its light. It says that the sun is darkened. Can you imagine at noonday if it seemed like twilight outside? And then at night because the moon no longer shines, it would be pitch black. That's what's going to happen. The sun will be darkened, the moon won't give its light, the stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then when things are at its worst, 
Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he'll send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they'll gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. There, there's so much more I can say here, but, but I, I really want us to get the application. How should all of this affect our lives today? Jesus tells us, verse 32, he says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer's coming. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it's near, at the doors. See, when we see all these things starting to happen, we know that, that the end is coming, the end is near. Sixteen years ago, a, a massive tsunami hit Sri Lanka and Indonesia and Thailand and India. 150,000 people were killed in that tsunami. There's a family that they were vacationing on, on one of those beaches. And, and as they were there, the, a little 10-year-old girl noticed the water starting to go back out. She turned to her mom and she said, Mom, I studied in school th that when this happens, it's the warning sign of a, a tsunami. Her mother said, you know, I think I've read the same thing. She asked somebody nearby and the person verified that also. They warned everyone on the beach, everyone on the beach evacuated that beach as quickly as they could, and over 100 people, their lives were saved. But on other beaches, the same thing was happening, and people ignored the warning signs. The water started to recede, and they, started, they went out, and they gathered shells that, that were uncovered. So what's the, what's the lesson for us? What's the message for us? Jesus said this in John chapter 9, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's still day. The night's coming when no one can work. See, the night is coming when we won't have the opportunities that we have today. So what should we do? We buy up every opportunity today to show the love of Christ to others, to share the good news of Christ with others. Verse 34, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. By this generation, Jesus didn't mean the disciples he was talking to right then. He meant the generation of people that will see all these signs happen, that it would happen quickly. Verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. What's that mean? Heaven and earth will pass away? Peter said this, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and its works will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. In keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless 
blameless and at peace with him? You know, that's a great question. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. While Jesus was on earth, I, I believe he, he restricted himself from that knowledge. But the main point of this verse here, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. The main point is, I don't know. You don't know. And if anybody tells you that they know, they don't know. Even the angels in heaven don't know. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, just business as usual. They, they ignored all the warning signs. The Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He told people what was coming. They ignored him. They saw the signs every day. They saw him working on that ark. He told them what was coming. They saw him working on the ark. They ignored it all. And one day the flood came and swept them away. And Jesus says, it will be that way in the end. It will be that way right up to the end. People will ignore the warnings. History is going to repeat itself. People will ignore God's warning and be swept away. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. By the way, the one that's taken... It is taken into judgment. It's just like the flood. The one that was taken away was the one taken into judgment. Two will, be uh, two will be working in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you don't know what hour your Lord is coming. Let's close with this. Verse 43. But know this. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come... He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Thieves don't call ahead of time and tell you when they're coming. The thief doesn't call and say, hey, Rick, I'm going to be at your house Thursday morning at 3.15 to rob you. If they did, I'd be ready. I'd make sure all the doors are locked. I'd make sure all the windows are locked. I'd even call the police and, and, and let them know. So, so because they don't call and let you know when they're coming, what do you do? You take all the necessary precautions all the time. You lock your doors. You close your windows. You do, you're always ready because you don't know when it's going to happen. When you were growing up, did your parents ever leave you and your siblings uh, at home by yourself for an extended period of time? I, I remember I, my, my, my two sisters, my brother and I, one time my parents said that they were going to be gone for a week. Now, you may have had the same thing. You know, you may have had a time that you and your siblings were home, uh, home by yourself with, with the parents gone. I'll tell you what happened. You know, and, and, and I think others have had a similar experience. Day one, 
we let everything slide. All the stuff we were normally supposed to do, we just let it slide. Day two, same thing. Day three, day four, day five, day six. Day seven, man, we hit the ground running. We started doing everything we knew we should have been doing all along. Do you see the wisdom of God to not let us know the day that he's coming back? He doesn't want us to waste every day. He wants us to live every day. Like this might be the day that we're face to face with him. He wants us always to be prepared. Someone said it this way. Live each day as though it might be your last. And one day you'll be right. But there's a lot of wisdom in that. Live each day, because you never know. This, this might be your last opportunity to share the good news, to show love to others. Live each day, though it might be your last, and one day you'll be right. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this glimpse into the future will motivate us to live for you today. I pray that every day, we would live for what matters most. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.